Welcome back, everyone, to the Cyclone Scoop podcast. Unbelievably, already week seven of the college football season, Iowa State is slated to travel down to Austin to face the Texas Longhorns. Texas is off one of their most impressive games of the year. And I'm happy to be joined by my friend Jeff Howe of Horns 24-7 with our 24-7 sports site. Jeff, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Nick, I'm good. You know, I I don't know. It's it's weird hitting me as we go through the Big 12 schedule. Um, I just realized probably this is probably Iowa State's last trip to Austin for the foreseeable future. Uh, I don't want to say forever, but it, it, it's probably going to be a while before Iowa State's back in, back in Austin. Yeah, for football, 100%, you know, and that's why I've been kind of trying so hard to be able to cover this game and kind of get that experience as well. So, you know, Iowa State comes in at three and three, three straight losses, while the Longhorns, they've got their QB1 back. They just came off a dominant performance against Oklahoma, which we'll get into in a bit, but they're now ranked, and Texas is going to be four and two when these teams see the field on Saturday. So, you know, how would you kind of break down some of the season so far, at least in terms of, you know, maybe what you and kind of other media and fans expected from the team? I mean, I, my record prediction, I had Texas, uh, I had Texas at eight and four. That was my record prediction before the start of the year. And, uh, you know, I think right now, I think that's still feasible. You know, they still, the thing about their schedule, they've got the tough part coming up, you know, after Iowa State this week. Uh, they go to Stillwater, then they've got to buy, then they go to Manhattan. Uh, it's kind of hard to see anybody in this league going to those places in three weeks and winning both of those games. And then they'll finish up the year with Baylor at home. So that's three games that could go either way. And then uh, that trip to Lawrence is not anywhere what anybody thought it would be before the season started. So the, the meat of the schedule is coming up. But, uh, you know, I think if you look back at that game against Alabama and at the time, you could say, okay, if Quinn Ewers plays that whole game, is it different? And granted, look, Oklahoma's not a very good football team right now, but given how much Quinn Ewers elevates that offense just with his arm talent, his ability to make off-platform throws, everything he brings to the table, um, it's it's hard to dispel the notion that where would would Texas be undefeated right now if Quinn Ewers had been healthy the whole time? Uh, just it, I think everybody's seeing kind of what, what everybody saw from him as a high school recruit, kind of what we saw from him, uh, even in the the kind of the portions of practice in the spring and in the fall that we got to see, his arm is just different. And in Sark's offense with all the weapons he's got around him, this is probably the best offense in the conference, which makes the matchup this week all the more compelling. I mean, you got the best offense in the conference going against the best defense in the conference. But uh, getting back to Texas, Nick, and, and the expectations – uh, you know, I you know I said eight and four going into the year, and I think when you look at the body of work, I think two things really stand out. One, uh, like I said, just how how good the offense is, just in general, how much better they are uh, with Quinn Ewers, and then kind of the growth of the defense. I mean, they were lights out against Alabama, a rough outing against Texas Tech, but against West Virginia and Oklahoma, uh, took care of business. And again, with the nature of the Texas OU game. I don't care what year it is, how good Oklahoma is or isn't. If you shut them out and shut them down on offense, uh, that's something you can spin for. So I think unlike last year's Texas team and some Texas teams that we saw you know, under Tom Herman and Charlie Strong, you look at them halfway through the year and say, all right, you're starting to see signs of growth that maybe they can get on an upward trajectory by the end of the year. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll we'll get a little more into yours. I feel like we have to tonight, and yeah. I've got really nothing but good things to say about him. But, you know, you mentioned that Sooners game, and obviously this isn't, 
you know, really the Oklahoma team we've kind of been used to seeing the last few years. And for sure. And, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily, you know, expect to see the defense from Oklahoma necessarily shut down the Longhorns offense, but the way that they couldn't even put up a single point. I mean, I think it speaks a lot to Texas defense, which I didn't realize was going to be so good this year, but even with a new regime and, you know, even with some health issues for the Sooners, They've still got at least four-star talent, generally all over the board. They generally recruit very well. So I guess what did you kind of see in that Texas game, really focusing on the defense that they were able to do to shut down the Sooners? And, I mean, I saw some statistics from that game, one of the most dominant performances from any team in that rivalry ever. Yeah, for sure. With Texas, it all starts up front, and I think that's the biggest difference. When you look at the Texas defense last year, which, I mean – whether you want to talk about yards per play, yards per carry, yard total yards per game, rushing yards per game, uh, first down allowed. It was one of the worst defenses in school history. One of the big things that changed for them this year, they're just winning up front. I mean, and they can legitimately go six deep at defensive tackle with Andre Sweat and Keandre Coburn, Moro Ojimo, and all these guys that Iowa State fans have seen a lot of this year. You're probably thinking some of these guys out of eligibility, but now they're still around. You know, Vernon Broaden, Alfred Collins. Byron Murphy as a sophomore might be the most talented guy in that group, uh, but because they're so deep, he's not getting, you know, 20 to 25 snaps a game. Um, probably a lot less, a lot less than he otherwise would get if, if he were somewhere else. But uh, that's where it starts for me. Man, it's just, Texas is just winning up front. They're winning their one-on-one battles and uh, just being able to, to reset the line of scrimmage consistently. It makes it so much easier on your back end with your coverages, they're able to play a lot more man because they're so good up front. It's made things easier on the linebackers when they're not catching bodies at the second level. So I know that's kind of coach speak to say, oh, it starts at the point of attack. I know for Texas, uh, that defensive tackle group probably was the most disappointing position group last year. This year, across the board, you could argue that that's been the best, other than maybe Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson, that's been the best aspect of this team through six games is what they've got from that interior D line. Yeah, and, you know, obviously I wasn't here yet last year and, you know, fully immersed into the Big 12, but I was working at a spot where there was still plenty of college football. And I remember that Texas defense, yeah, really getting kind of handled by by a lot of teams, Iowa State included in Ames, you know. I believe Iowa State put up 30. I think it was 30 to 7. And I was waiting to hear some of those names, Sweat and Murphy. I mean, I think the ceiling for Murphy is very high. I really like Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, the, the defense was just dominant. And I think that's something that you haven't necessarily seen as much, especially in that, you know, front six, front seven for Texas the last couple of years. But you mentioned Robinson and yours, you know, both teams that are facing off this week in Iowa State and Texas, really new quarterbacks this year, right? Hunter Decker showed a lot of flashes. I, I would even say consistently really good play early on. And now it's been a little more flashes in Big 12 play, you know, some inconsistency, turnovers. But even he had some really bright spots, especially kind of in that second and third quarter in the Kansas State game. They weren't quite able to pull it out. But from what I've seen early in the Bama game, and then I I watched a good chunk of Texas, Oklahoma with my family. And what I see from yours is some of these plays, it helps certainly when you have a guy like Sark running the offense. But he's just in such complete command for his age and he can make every throw. And I remember, I believe it was one of his touchdowns to Robinson. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. It looked like the chiefs offense, you know, everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do. 
And if the timing is right, it looks like they can score with anyone. So how do you feel, you know, kind of about Sark running that offense and how does yours really take it to another level from what you've seen in limited watch? Yeah. Uh, with Sark's offense, I think that anybody that watched him at Alabama, which was best case scenario, right? You had a first round pick quarterback, first round pick at running back, a Heisman winner, wide receiver, starts last year there. And really the entire playbook is open, right? Sark wants to do, uh, you know, the personnel grouping is different. They're doing a lot. And and I think playing to his personnel, not me. The one of the things that frustrated me, Nick, when Tom Herman went to Texas was Texas just really seemed to bound themselves to be we're an 11 personnel offense and just being so rigid to that plan. You know, so they'll be in Sark, they'll be in 12 personnel. Um, they're doing a lot more two back stuff, 21 personnel, 20 personnel, because now they've got a difference maker tied in into Tavian Sanders. They've got a deep running back room. Um, I mean, Jonathan Brooks looks really good in the OU game. He hasn't hardly played this year. He's technically your number four bat. Um, so they're really deep in running back. They've got a difference maker at tight end. They'll get Jaleel Billingsley, the Bama transfer. They'll get him back this week. Uh, he was serving an, an NCAA mandated suspension for six games. That's up. So as Sark said today during the press conference, that he'll, you know, they're uh, they're planning on working him back in. They're getting him back in. Um so what you see with the type of – and I haven't even talked about the receivers with Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy. And then, you know, Tariq Milton's a guy that uh, hasn't played a ton because they really haven't needed him. You know, knock on wood because you know, Whittington and Worthy have been healthy. The only time they really needed Milton uh, was in the Texas Tech game and Worthy got hurt. And Milton actually made one of the plays that game. I mean, if Texas wins that game, you're probably talking about the 28-yard catch Milton had on that last drive to set up a field goal to go into overtime. Probably talking about that as the play of the game. Um, so they're deep, they're deep everywhere on offensive skill positions. And what that does for Sark is you can use your personnel groupers. You can use all your motions and shifts, all your pre-snap movements. Uh, he loves throwing the, 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 to targeting guys in motion, all the funk and stuff that he wants to have in his offense. It's there. What Quinn Ewers does is now the entire playbook is open because he can make every throw. And, you know, the, the challenge for any defense, you saw Alabama's defense have trouble with it in that one quarter that he played. I mean, he makes you defend every blade of grass. With Quinn Ewers at quarterback, every route on the route tree is open. So if you're a corner, you're thinking, oh, he can't you know, from the opposite pass to the far boundary. He can't make that out. Yeah, he can. He can throw it 40 yards in the air on a rope to Xavier Worthy like he did in the Bama game and make it look easy. And that's, he just makes everything look easy. There were throws he made in that game. I think about the scene ball to Jatavian Sanders where he just kind of drops it in a bucket between two defenders on a, on a line. Um, there's just not, there's not a throw that he can't make. So you look at the, you look at the skill talent around him that start to utilize it. Now you've got a quarterback that literally can make every throw. Um, it makes Texas really, really tough to defend. And I think it says a lot, you know, because – Ewers, obviously, all the talent in the world, right? One of the highest-rated recruits ever, certainly on our system with 24-7 sports. And I don't, you know, I haven't been around Sark a ton. I, I don't love a ton of kind of how he keeps things quiet with the media and you guys and things like that. But for a long time, I have thought that, you know, I'm not sure there's really many, if any, just more clear-cut, better offensive minds than he is. And I think that... It's kind of a match made in heaven right now for the Longhorns because the more I watch yours, the more I like him. Sark is not afraid to get creative, like you mentioned. I, I have noticed some of that 20 personnel and, you know, yeah. things like that. That's not something 
that we saw a ton of with the Longhorns kind of before him. So, you know, I, I guess this is a perfect spot to say Iowa State's defense has been fantastic. They've really kept this team in every game, and I think it speaks to some of the NFL-level talent that they're going to have. And I think it also just shows how good of a job the position coaches, as well as, you know, defensive coordinator John Haycock, have really done with a unit that lost several guys to the, you know, pro ranks. Yeah, yeah that's what I was uh, curious about with Iowa State this year. You know, when you, when you lose a guy like Mike Rose that's played a ton of football, I mean, I think it starts with him when you look at the losses. Um, they've just kind of picked up where they left off last year. Now, granted, they haven't faced an offense like they're going to face in Texas, but what, what really captivates me about what Iowa State does as you look at John Haycock and that three safety defense, and really you go back to 2017, they kind of just fell into that. You know, they, they had a game, uh, and I'm sure I'm, you know, Iowa State fans have heard this, though I'm kind of re- repeating history, but, uh, you know, they had a game against Texas in 2017 in Ames where they started running some dime. They were just kind of rushing three, dropping eight, and it worked, and they really shut Texas down. And, you know, talking to to Matt Campbell and talking to Iowa State players the following year at Big 12 media days, they kind of decided, hey, this dime package works so good. As a, why don't we just make it our base defense? And they kind of just built it out from there. Uh, and I, what I think, Nick, again, the, the pieces that work so well, Mike Rose at, at linebacker. And then the key to that whole defense to me was Greg Eisler. When you had a guy that could fit the run at the safety position as well as he could, and that's the tricky thing with this defense and, and a lot of people are trying to copy it and replicate it, but John Haycock runs it so well because he makes the pieces fit. He's had the personnel to fit it. Uh, you know, that shell presents a look like, okay, yeah, we should be able to pound the football. Well, when you've got linebackers in that Rover, like eyes and Joker, like eyes where they can fit the run so well, all of a sudden now you're kind of banging your head against the one. Suddenly it's third and nine. You're like, dude, what happened? Now we're behind the chains and, and now you're up against it. So, I love what Iowa State does on defense. I just think John Haycock is, is phenomenal, and I'm surprised. I'm shocked nobody, you know, a, 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 no disrespect to Iowa State, but like a bigger name Power 5 program hasn't tried to hire him as a DC. I just think he's outstanding at what he does. But, yeah, I mean, it's to me, when I look at Iowa State, it starts with Will McDonald up front. But, you know, that system, again, a lot of teams are trying to copy it or put their own spin on it. But they just – and I'm talking to the Texas players – uh, you know, Christian Jones on the offensive line, I think he said it perfect because I asked him today, I said, what's so tough about their their system, their scheme? He said, they just do what they do and they do it so well. They're not out of place. They're just so disciplined and it's everybody understands the structure. I, I, love, I love what I was thinking. And, you know, I shouldn't be surprised because obviously I follow you and see your work. I love kind of hearing the, the little more schematically focused things. And I think you clearly know a lot about what the Cyclones run. And you make a great point in that safety room. You know, they lost Rose, obviously a linebacker. They lost Eisworth, who was a really kind of versatile player, not afraid to play up in the run. But now they've got two guys in that safeties room, at least, that kind of show how well they can not only move, but be up, be brought up into the box a little bit and be physical. Anthony Johnson, who I'm sure you've seen plenty of, made the move from corner to safety. He's been excellent, especially in Big 12 play, I would say, Mm -hmm. these last two or three games. And then Bo Freeler, who came on really strong the second half of last year as a true freshman. He is absolutely built like an NFL player now. He's got the, you know, football IQ, and he's really got some good uh, speed for his size. He's not afraid to be physical. So now those are some more guys that, you know, have kind of excelled and coming up and playing the run. 
both can play the pass as well. Freeler, you know, had a couple PBUs recently, which was certainly impressive because it's just he really kind of reshaped his body a little bit coming into this year. Obviously, a much more prominent role. And, you know, it's interesting. After spring ball, right, I had said that I thought the secondary could be the best, uh, you know, kind of unit on the entire team. And then Mm -hmm. when we were down at Big 12 Media Days for football, Campbell thought that it could be the best they've really had in his time here. And I think so far it's been really strong. So when you look at kind of the other side of the ball for Iowa State, you know, we're we're almost 20 minutes deep and we haven't even mentioned Xavier Hutchinson, which I think speaks to how much talent is really going to be in this game. But my biggest question is, you know, he's one of the best in the country, certainly the Big 12 Conference. Iowa State's trying to get him the ball a lot. Deckers and Hutchinson have a very strong connection. Where are their potential holes or gaps kind of in that back line of, of Texas? And, you know, do the Longhorns have kind of the secondary and guys to play in man to kind of make things tough for Xavier on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think the two guys that really stand out, you know, Ryan Watts transferred from Ohio State that they took to, to play the boundary corner. He's He's exactly what you would profile a boundary corner. He's 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds, long arms, can really get on guys. Uh, Ryan Watts is really good. Uh, Deshaun Jameson's playing the best football of his career. And, I mean, that's another guy that Iowa State fans have seen probably teams like for a decade now. But uh, Deshaun Jameson's playing, like I said, the best football of his career. Uh, so they are able to play a lot of man because they really do trust their corners where Texas is vulnerable. And it would be, you know, it's one of those games where, you, man, if, if – you know, Charlie Kohler and some of those guys were back. You think, you know, they could, Iowa State could really have a chance to move the ball successfully in this game. Kind of the middle of the field, you know, teams, uh, Oklahoma wasn't able to do it really. Um, but you look at Tech, Tech, even West Virginia, they were able to attack Texas, you know, between the hashes, between the numbers, and kind of up to about 15 to 19 yards, kind of that intermediate stuff between the numbers. Uh, you know, making guys like Jalen Ford and, and DeMarvin Overson kind of making them cover a little bit. I don't know Overson's a former safety, but Texas does so much stuff with him that really it's on Jalen Ford and some of those other linebackers to try to cover. Uh, that's where Texas has given up some stuff where, where zone drops aren't quite getting to the right place or uh, you're just getting matchups. And in one area, you know, one thing that uh, Alabama did this and we really saw Texas Tech do it, Utilizing your running backs, getting getting running backs matched up on linebackers. You know, one of the big plays in the Alabama game, uh, and you know, Bill O'Brien kind of figured it out late that the Texas linebackers could have some issues. And they send Jameer Gibbs kind of kind of on a little blitz beater, right? They blitz, uh, they blitz Jalen Ford. They get Ovia Gofu matched up on him. Gibbs runs by him, and I think that was like a thirty yard gain that set up the field goal. Um, so teams have had success thrown to their backs and tight ends against Texas. Um, so if I'm if I'm Iowa State, that's one part of the field I look at to see if you can make Texas, you know, sweat a little bit. I think that's the path of least resistance uh, against the Texas defense. There's really two, I think, in, in the past game, it's attacking the linebackers. And I think in the run game, it's attacking the edges because Texas is they're better on the edges than they were last year. But still, if you're if you're going to pick your poison, you'd much rather try to attack the C gap and out than just try to bang your head, try to move the ball on, on Coburn, Sweat, and Ojimo and those guys inside. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that's going to be really interesting going into this game is since we've kind of gotten into Big 12 play, Iowa State has not had kind of the amount of rushing success that they would like to have. And and that's not even really just 
you know, their fault per se. Really, their top mm-hmm. two tailbacks in Jirel Brock and Cartavius Norton have been dealing with some injuries. Obviously, a lot of people know the name Jirel Brock. Norton's a true freshman who really impressed, you know, in spring ball and was set to have a major role this fall. And he just hasn't really been able to stay on the field, which has been kind of very unfortunate for that offense. And it's, it's just made things a little bit more difficult, you know, especially against these good front sevens. Texas obviously has one. Kansas State just had one. And so it's interesting. Iowa State kind of has been able to move the ball enough, you know, to keep the offense in the game, but not quite execute enough to get those victories. And, you know, now as I kind of get into the last portion here, there's a reason that Texas is heavily favored. It's at home. They seem to be healthy and they're playing some terrific football right now. So with that, Jeff, I just really pose to you, you know, who wins this football game and why do you see that happening? Hey, real quick, Nick, what is the number right now? Because I think it opened at, what, 14, 13 and a half? Yeah, I think it opened You know what it's up to? 14 flat, and now I'm seeing it around 16, 16, 5. Yeah, I just – the way Iowa State plays defense as good as Texas is on offense, I, I would definitely take the under. In this one, if I was to bet on such things, um, you know, I just the, what little I've seen from Iowa State this year, kind of like you said, they they've struggled on offense to to kind of consistently move the football, and and I think one of the interesting things about this team is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, like with the defense, they've been able to reload pretty well, and I think just so much of that is John Haycock's system and guys just understanding their roles, but man, it's really tough. You know, people can say what they want about Brock Purdy, but when you've got a quarterback that played that much football for you, you've got a, a historic running back in Brees Hall, um, you know, trying to replace a guy like Charlie Collar. It's a lot of firepower to try to replace in one offseason. And I think you're starting, you're seeing some of the struggles just because of that. I still look, I still think Matt Campbell's a great football coach. I think he evaluates and develops talent as well as anybody in the country. But I think for this particular matchup, I just think, you know, if it's a game, Nick, I think for Texas, 17 points might be enough to win this game. Um, and I think right now the way Texas is playing, I, I would predict them to score more than 17. So I would say probably like a 27, you know, 27, 10 type of game. So probably right around, right around what the number is. Again, I just, you know, if, if Iowa State can, if I was Iowa State, I would, like I said, I would attack Texas on the edges in the run game attack them from the numbers in and that intermediate stuff in the past game. And I would try to make my third down calls such that where I'm in four down territory, because if there's one thing where Texas really hasn't been good, and even Oklahoma got them a little bit, uh, they've really struggled on fourth down. I mean, Texas Tech was six of eight on fourth down and I lost in Lubbock. Uh, West Virginia got, I think, a couple of fourth down conversions. Oklahoma had one early. So that's kind of where Texas has struggled is giving up, you know, some chunks on third and longs to set up some fourth and manageable. So it's going to be a game where if Iowa State's going to have to give themselves a chance, I think they're going to have to gamble a little bit and pretty much consider yourself, once you get to a certain part of the field, just consider it four-down territory. If you try to just flip the field and, and play field position uh, with Quinn Ewers and this Texas offense, I don't see that being a recipe for much anybody to try to win games against Texas right now. Yeah, and I mean, again, I'm impressed, you know, just kind of how – much you've been paying attention to what Iowa State is doing as well. I mean, I don't know the exact over-under. You know, I do feel that at least probably in that late second quarter, early third, 
Iowa State's defense is going to make things tough on the Longhorns. I just think that they've been playing too well. Haycock does a really great job at that once maybe an offense gets a little bit established. And hey, I mean, even if you asked me what when Iowa State was sitting at three and two before this last Sooners game, even if I wouldn't have, you know, picked an Iowa State win, I think that I would have picked this to be a pretty close game. It still might be, but I just didn't realize quite how good that Longhorns D and especially that front can be. And it's just tough to kind of see a lot of spots with a ton of confidence in the way the Cyclones are playing offensively right now. On top of their performances, you know, they're dealing with some legitimate kind of top players with some health concerns, both at running back and, you know, Easton Dean at tight end has been a little dinged up, uh, as Campbell would say, you know, and he's had to say that about a lot of prominent players recently, especially on that offense. One thing I do like, I mean, you mentioned how well Campbell kind of evaluates and, you know, develops. I do think he's a really good leader, you know, of these young men and players. And I feel that the team will certainly, you know, give it all they've got. But Texas is just so talented, seemingly everywhere. And yeah. I mean, we talked so much about so many of these weapons. And yeah, we, we barely talked about Robinson out of the backfield or Xavier Worthy. I mean, I couldn't really be much more impressed with what I saw Red River rivalry game. And that's why, you know, I'm really interested to see how Iowa State responds. But this probably has the makings of another Longhorn victory right now. One thing I do wonder, though, Nick, like as good as John Haycock is, they should be able to disguise some looks and throw some things at Quinn Ewers that he hasn't seen yet. Uh, and, and, you know, it's hard to, to think he's just going to hit a wall, you know, considering he's only played, I think, nine quarters to this point. But the, the one thing John Haycock has that certainly Nick Saban didn't have and Brent Venables didn't have, He's got a decent sampling of some film now to at least see, okay, when he has struggled a little bit, when he's put the ball in some turnover-worthy situations, what does that look like? What did the coverages look like? What did the fronts look like? What did the pressures look like? So I would try – if I was John Haycock, I would try to throw some different things at Quinn Ewers just to see if you could maybe make him see ghosts a little bit. But the thing, the thing about Ewers is, and Sark mentioned this today, and you can see it, he's just so calm for a young guy that like it's almost like he doesn't get rattled. Even like you go back to the ULM game, his third pass in the game, he threw a really bad pass that got intercepted. But it's like the body language was fine. He didn't get – he didn't overreact. It's just like, all right, boom, on to the next one. And that's that's another unique thing about him is if he does struggle, he hasn't been a guy that's really pressed or gotten out of character. He's just kind of just kind of even keel. And I think that's one of the things Sark really digs about him. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that on top of the talent – he seems to have the full kind of confidence and trust from his teammates. I saw recently that, you know, he was looking out for his offensive linemen, getting everybody some, some gifts. I believe I saw that. And, you know, he just, he kind of has that it factor to me. So I think you make a terrific point. And like I said, I would agree on that under, you know, I think that Haycock will have that unit ready. I should mention uh, Colby reader, a starting linebacker that also got hurt. We're kind of waiting to learn a little bit more about that injury. Uh, but he's a starter that didn't look great. And that would certainly, you know, hurt that Cyclones defense. But otherwise, I think at least the majority of it will be, you know, close. It's kind of strength against strength with that, Yeah. Um, you know, Texas offense going against Iowa State's defense. And I mean, this is a huge point in the season for the Cyclones. It obviously 
would have been nice for them to kind of get their first Big 12 victory last week. Now they've got a bigger test, and then they go into the bye week. So we will see. But, you know, I'm very grateful of you joining tonight, Jeff, and I look forward to seeing you in Austin, my friend. Absolutely, Nick. Safe travels, and uh, I'll see you on, on uh, Saturday. You bet. And thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time on the Cyclone Scoop Podcast.